Good morning, church. I'm Caleb. I'm the student minister here at City Church. You might know me as Coach Dog. That's D-A-W-G, Dog. Uh, if you watch that video, we've been in KSB all week long. And uh, is it working? Can you all hear me? Okay. I can't hear myself at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're probably the bad person to ask. <laughs> hey, hey. Do I need to grab a... We're good? No, we're not good. Hey, that's okay. There it is. All right. Come on. Um... Like I said, so this whole week during KSB, I've been up here uh, playing a bunch of silly games in a hot dog costume, and now I'm up here preaching, so quite the pivot here. Uh, I asked if I could preach in the hot dog costume, but they said no, so I'm sorry. You can email Kyle with your complaints, uh, because I think the suit would have been awesome. The reason I get to preach to you guys today is because Ryan is in Malawi with uh, one of our covenant partners, Don. I think we got a picture of him here. And his oldest son, um, Grayson, and then some of Grayson's friends, Grant, Ethan, and Kyle. They're in Malawi in Africa um, going over there. Ryan's there to train pastors, and those college boys are there uh, to love on the kids and students there. And so um, they're going to be over there for the next... I don't, 10 weeks, 10 days, sorry, not 10 weeks, sorry, 10 days, 10 days, sorry, sorry, that's 10 days, uh, but let's go ahead and let's pray for Ryan, and hopefully I'll figure out how to talk between now and then. <laughs> Dear Lord, thank you, um, thank you for Don Wagner, just the amazing um, work he's doing over there in Africa, Lord, teaching and training up pastors to build your local church. Lord, thank you that Ryan gets the opportunity to go over there and partner with him. Lord, I just pray that... Um, that you would just speak so clearly through them, that um, the gospel would be spread, that your kingdom would be built over in Malawi, and we would get to celebrate that here in Melissa. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue our series in Acts this morning. And if you, remember, if you were here last week, Ryan covered 70 verses. And today, I'm going to top it. We're going to go for 140. How does that sound? Does that sound all right? No, I'm not going to do that. But we are going to be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in Acts 8, 1 to 25 this morning. And this, this chapter in Acts is awesome. It's super exciting because um, geographically speaking, it's maybe the most important chapter in all of Acts. And here's what I mean. Acts 1 to 7, everything we've looked at thus far has been in Jerusalem and in the surrounding area of Judea. That's where the gospel has been. That's where the church has been. The church has largely been a Jewish Christian movement up to right now. And now for the first time in the history of mankind, the gospel gets spread to another country and to another people group. And it expands beyond Judaism. And so um, this is, it's so awesome. It, the gospel gets to Samaria and we're gonna read all 25 of these verses. We're gonna break them up though. And so if you are able, let's stand and we're gonna read Acts 8, one to eight. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over, lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. 
when they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out to many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You can be seated. So Stephen has just delivered this awesome sermon in Acts 7. And if you want to go back and listen to that, you can listen to Ryan's message online. Um, but he does this and then he is killed. He is martyred. He's the first martyr. And what happens here in Acts 8 is this chapter starts off really bleak. And it's, if you think about it like this, Christianity is this brand new movement. This is a brand new movement and it's, it's starting to face extreme persecution. What's going to happen? Is the church going to die out? Is it going to fizzle out? Well, obviously not because we're here today. But I want you to think about this. Because the church during this time would have been in immense crisis. Not just by the nature of being persecuted, but by the nature of them being scattered. In the Bible, being scattered was a form of God's judgment. Think about the Tower of Babel. God tells them to go and fill all the earth. What do they do? They try to build a kingdom themselves and they all stay together. And what does God do? Scatters them out. He sends them out. The exiles, Israel, God's chosen people, right? They inherit the promised land. They don't fulfill their part of the covenant. God exiles them, not once, but twice. And he scatters them. And so scattering was in the biblical worldview was a form of punishment from God. It was a form of judgment. And so the church is here going, have we done something wrong? Like, what is, why, are, why are we being scattered right now? We're here trying to spread the good news of Jesus's love and we're being judged by God. But here's the reality. This judgment is not on the church. This judgment of the church being scattered is judgment on the enemies of those who are trying to crush the church. Here's what I mean. The gospel is finally brought to a brand new nation, Samaria. And the whole reason it happened was because of suffering. Philip didn't go there on summer vacation. Philip went there because he was being persecuted and so they all fled. And that's how he gets there in the first place. And while he is there, what happens? He shares the gospel and people believe. God uses mankind's evil and hatred of the gospel as the means by which the gospel would be spread even more. How awesome is that? One commentary said it this way, suffering is inevitable, but God's mission is unstoppable. All throughout history, our church has been persecuted through different eras, and bon, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an awesome dead guy, I quote him a lot. Uh, he says it this way, the church thrives when it's in direct opposition to the culture it's in. He also said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church became international because of Stephen's blood. God in his mysterious sovereignty, he does not cause the suffering of the early church, but he allowed it, he permitted it, and he did it for their good and for his glory. God uses this ordinary dude, Philip. I wanna talk about Philip here for a second. Philip, if you've got a great memory, you're gonna be like, that name sounds familiar. But not because he was one of the 12 disciples, he wasn't one of those. In Acts chapter six that we talked about a few weeks ago, Philip was one of the 
uh, believers who became a deacon, one of the first deacons to help the uh, widows. Do we remember this? This was in Acts chapter 6. So that's who Philip is. Philip is just this ordinary guy who loved Jesus and became a deacon. And then he is sent here to Samaria. And now here's what you're thinking is why does it matter that it's Philip? Because here's the thing. Philip is what we would call a Hellenized Jew. Hellenized is just a fancy term that means he was very Greek. So you've got Jews and you have Gentiles who are mostly Greek. And these are two complete opposite people groups that largely don't really like each other. And he was kind of in this middle ground of, yeah, he was Jewish, but he acted and looked and talked very Greek. And he goes to Samaria. Why is that important? Well, because the Samaritans were the most hated people of them all. Because they were literally half Jew, half Gentile together. And so the Gentiles hated them because they were like, you're too Jewish. And the Jews hated them because they said you were too Gentile. And so they were literally hated by everybody. And so it makes sense, right? That God in his sovereignty would bring Philip, a guy who's right here in the middle, who's Jew and Gentile, to a people who are both Jew and Gentile. Do you see God's sovereignty? This was not an accident. God in his grace, in his love, in his wisdom, brought Philip to a place that he called, and it would be a perfect fit, not by luck, by his sovereignty. Church, what I'm saying is God is sovereign. He is in control. He uses persecution to spread the gospel. He sends just the right person to just the right people. And here's the coolest part of all, you guys, Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Y'all, this wasn't just a command from Jesus. It was a prophecy that the gospel would spread and we're gonna keep going in Acts and it's gonna go to the ends of the earth. Samaria is just the beginning. God is in his his sovereign and he's intentional in his sovereignty. And this isn't limited to just the God of Acts. This is our God today. Church, your promotions, your demotions, your house sells, your house forecloses, you buy a house, your setbacks, your successes, every open door and every closed door has been sovereignly ordained by God for his glory, your good, and the spread of the gospel. I wrestled with giving this example, but, oh, now that I look at that timer, maybe not. I'm going to do it anyway. What are they going to do? Kick me out? Nah, we're going to skip it. Sorry, guys. Sorry, sorry. All right, fine, fine. Look, the the people want it. All right. I was beginning to reflect on God's sovereignty in my own life, and uh, I just want to share this story about how I got to City Church Melissa, because it was nothing short of a divine sovereign act of God. I grew up in Arizona. At 18, I moved to New York City and I went to college up there to run cross country and track. I ended up transferring because I didn't like it for a lot of reasons. And I ended up transferring to Dallas Baptist University. I'd never been to Texas ever before in my life. The only reason I even heard about DBU was because I saw a picture of it on my roommate's computer and was like, that place looks kind of cool. Where's that at? I'll go there. I thought all of Texas looked like that. It does not. <laughs> so joke's on me. At DBU, I was a bit of a hooligan. Um, and by God's grace, again, a sovereign act, I was chosen to be an RA, and which is which one of the worst decisions DBU ever made, without a doubt. Uh, I'll never forget, my RD told me, he was like, you have to be the worst RA in all of human history. And I was like, hey, you know, well, we had fun. God and his sovereignty wouldn't just end with me, being, with me being an RA. One of my residents, his name was Austin Shoemake, and him and I ended up becoming best friends. 
And God in his sovereignty, Austin's dad worked with Kent, one of the elders at our church for 10 years at a missions organization called I Go Global. And then a few years later, I'm graduating from DBU, I'm working and Kent calls up Austin's dad and says, do you know of anybody who's, we're looking to hire a student minister. Do you know anybody? He just knew I was in ministry, had no idea he was even looking for another job, had no idea about anything going on in my life and just said, Kent, you should give this guy Caleb a call. He's, he's been a huge influence on my son's life and I really love him. And Kent gives me a call and says, have you ever heard of a place called Melissa? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and that's how I'm here. Do you see how God is sovereign in that? That every single one of those things had to have happened for me to be here where God has called me. And that's not about me. That doesn't say anything about me. It is about God, the one who has sovereignly ordained all of these things to happen. Church, your story is like that too. I wanna challenge you today to think about God's sovereignty in your own life. And when you go home this afternoon, reflect on where you are and where God has brought you and why he's brought you there. Your job, your neighborhood, your kids, their sports, God has placed you there and given you those things. And here's, here's the Here's the point though, church, is that we're called to do more than recognize his, his sovereignty. Here's my point. Serve where you're sovereignly placed. That's point number one. Serve where you're sovereignly placed. Recognize you're sovereignly placed and serve there. Philip didn't go flee from the gospel and hide in the house and not do anything. He went and he shared the gospel. And lives were changed for forever because he went and he served where God had sovereignly placed him. Briefly, church, I, we have no problem sharing the good news about a great show on Netflix. We have no problem sharing the good news about a new restaurant that's open or a recipe we tried or a doctor that we love. We share good news with people every day. But the good news of Jesus, the eternal good news that's infinitely better than any restaurant and any doctor, we keep that to ourselves. I think we do that for a lot of different reasons. I think fear stops us a lot. What if they ask something I can't answer? What if they judge me or reject me? What if this ruins our relationship? What if it doesn't? What if you're the Philip in Samaria, but it's you and Melissa and God has placed you in their lives because he wants to use you to change lives, to bring life transformation and you're letting some silly fear stop you from living how God has called us to live. There's a lie in our culture that says it's rude and it's imposing to try and talk about religion with people, whether you know them or not. And that is an absolute lie of our culture. And I'm not, look, I'm not, don't, please don't be on the street corner with some big old sign, like yelling up, everybody's going to hell, all right? That's not what we're talking about here, okay? Like, that's not what I'm talking about here. But when I mean, what we tell people about Jesus, I don't remember who said this, but it wasn't me. He said, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. If someone was hungry, they would want to know where that free bread is. And that free bread would satisfy them. How much more would a Jesus, who not only would satisfy them, but save them, he meets all of our needs. Serve your city, share the gospel. Okay, we got we to gotta get cooking here. All right, we still got a lot of verses, right? You guys can be seated. Don't, don't feel like you got to stand up. We're going to read verses 9 to 13, and we're going to continue on. Acts 8, 9 to 13. But there was a man named Simon 
who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed. He was amazed. Verse eight said this, there is joy in the city. That's what happens when we serve where we're sovereignly placed. Lives are changed. And we have this magician, Simon, the great power of God. And we're gonna come back to Simon here in a minute, but Luke takes a sidetrack, so we're gonna take a sidetrack. Let's read verses 14 to 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. This is a really tricky couple verses. And if you are like, are thinking about your theology at all, you might be thinking, this is kind of weird. How on earth are these people believing in Jesus, but they don't have the Holy Spirit? That's very unusual. That does not happen today. So how on earth does that happen here? Right? You gotta remember, this is a very special circumstance. The first time the gospel is in a new country, Not only is it a new country, they're sworn enemies. So what does God do? God in his sovereignty, again, he withholds the Holy Spirit until the apostles can come to Samaria. The apostles are the original disciples, the ones who are the leaders of the early church movement. He withholds the spirit so the apostles can be there and they can witness it. So there can be eyewitnesses from the leaders from those highest up that say, No, these Samaritans believe in the gospel. They're no longer our enemies. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. It was for the sake of church unity that the Holy Spirit was withheld. The reason I say this church is because there are charismatic circles of Christianity that would say this is the norm. That for you, and I went to a school like this and it wasn't DBU, uh, that said, if you are truly a believer, then it will express itself in signs of the spirit. Meaning you will speak in tongues or you will prophesy. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. And this is a one-time, this is what the pastors, they always go to to prove it too. This is a special circumstance. Are we on the same page? All right. Thank you, all three of you. (laughs) Special circumstance. God delays this arrival. Church unity. He wants to leave no room for question. Rabacho over, back to Simon. Simon's been baptized. He's following around Philip and Peter. And Acts 8, 18 to 21 says this. Now when Simon saw the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Church, a couple things here. Simon wasn't interested in receiving the Holy Spirit. All he wanted was the power to give it to others. Magicians back in the day, when they had these magic tricks, they didn't have YouTube. So if they learned a magic trick, 
they would try to buy it off of another magician so they would teach him so then they could use that magic trick. And so Simon just sees this awesome magic trick going on. He's like, yo, I want that. Here's $20. And Peter, very sternly, basically tells him he and his money can die and go to H-E double hockey stick, you know? That's basically what he said, all right? Uh, He says, this isn't a magic trick, man. You can't buy the power of God. You guys, but here's the sin of Simon that I think all of us are convicted of. Simon didn't desire God. He desired the power that came from God. And here's my point, you guys. Point number two is this. Don't desire the things of God more than God himself. You and I were designed to chase after God, to follow him wholeheartedly. But in our sinful nature, in our brokenness, what we tend to do is follow all the things of God and chase after those. And those are great things. And we chase after all of these. And in it, we miss the God who's given us those very things. Let me give you some examples. We desire peace but we try to find it in our circumstances instead of in God, the Prince of Peace. We desire acceptance, but we try to find it in others instead of the God who accepts us more than anyone ever will. We desire joy, but we chase a million other things looking to fill that joy instead of going to the God of joy. We desire love, but how rarely do we find and feel that in the God who says that he is love. We desire purpose and fulfillment and we look to our family and careers instead of the God who has graciously given us both of those things. We desire safety and we fail to realize that the safest place to be is in the sovereign arms of God. We desire success and we look for in all these worldly measurements of success When we get to heaven, God's question before you is not gonna be, show me your results. It's gonna be, were you faithful? This summer, we have students that are in fight clubs all over Melissa. I hope you've seen them. I hope you've seen them in Starbucks or in George's or in Brahms or Jeremiah's. There's, I don't even know. A lot of students are involved in fight clubs this summer. And I was talking to one of my leaders who was really discouraged because a lot of the students weren't coming as much. And she was she felt shame because these other fight clubs are going really well and hers wasn't going well. What's wrong with me? And I said, girl, you're, when you, God is not gonna say, how many came to your fight club that semester? He's never gonna say that. It's were you faithful? Our success is not in results, it's in faithfulness. But so often, you guys, we desire the things of God more than God himself. And so church, we need to desire him. In him lies peace, acceptance, joy, love, purpose, fulfillment, all of those things. God in his grace is enough. All things in the fullness of life, like he talked about in the welcome, are found in him. This episode with Simon isn't over. It doesn't just end with Peter saying that. Peter says even some even meaner things. Here we go. Acts 8, 22 to 25. This is where we'll wrap up today. Peter says, repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For you see, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. 
And now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Church, a lot of, a lot of uh, theologians are split. Was Simon a believer? Was he not? It says he believed and was baptized. That Greek word for believe is pistos. And scripturally speaking, it does not always refer to salvation. James 2.19 uses that same Greek word. Even the demons believe and shudder. And we have some theologians who say, no, he was saved and he misunderstood. We are not the ones to judge salvation. And so that's not for me to say. But what I, what I clearly can see in this passage, though, is this. Is that Simon makes another crucial mistake here. He failed to see that his relationship with God was his own. And here's what I mean. Verse 24. Well, what is, sorry, not verse 24. He asked Peter to what? When Peter tells him to repent, does he repent? No. He asks Peter to pray for him. He fails to realize that he can come before the father himself. He thinks he's got to go through Peter. And so he doesn't repent. He tries to go through Peter. Church, your relationship with God is your own. It is no one else's. Your relationship with God is your own. Our last study was in Hebrews and we learned about how Jesus was our high priest. And what that meant was that Jesus was the mediator. Between our brokenness and God's holiness, Jesus was that mediator. And that's why Pastor Ryan and Pastor Kyle and Pastor Matt and me, we don't have to be that mediator. And if I did, I would quit. That sounds terrible. That would be the, no offense, but that would be absolutely terrible. Jesus was that mediator for us. That's why we can come to God directly. We don't have to go through someone else. Another way we see this in him is verse 24. He says, pray for me so that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. It seems clear he wasn't interested in a restored relationship with God. He wanted to escape the judgment from God. If your relationship with Jesus is based on an eternal fear of damnation, that is not a relationship with Jesus Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is not a fear-based reality. It is a joy-filled reality. That's what it is. It is one filled with joy, and it is one that brings life. Parents, the faith of your children and your students is their own. It cannot be your faith. It has to be their own. Your faith can only save you. Parents, this is why... Uh, Jess and I, we say all the time, parents are the primary disciple maker. I'm not the primary disciple maker. Jess isn't the primary disciple maker. You are called by God to be the one who disciples your students and your kids to help their faith be their own. Our job is to come alongside and help in any and every way we humanly possibly can. But at the end of the day, that is on you. And you can only help them when you yourself realize that your relationship with God is your own. A.W. Tozer, another great dead dude. <laughs> Look, you guys don't want the biographies on these guys. I know you don't, so I'll just give them a quick summary. He says it this way. Every person is as close to God as they want to be. I want to say that one more time. Every person is as close to God as they want to be. As the band comes up here, I, I want to remind you, church, of this, that God is unmoving. 
God has never moved away from you once in your life. Our feelings are true, but they are not truth. It may feel like God is distant and it may feel like God is silent and those feelings are true because you feel them, but they are not truth. In the muck and mire of your sin, God has not run away from you. In the secrecy of your sin and your addictions, he is not ashamed of you. He loves you. And he draws ever closer to you, not farther away. We are the ones who drift from him. He will never leave us or forsake us. Church, if we would be a body that would have a radical ownership over our own relationship with God and realize it is up to us what our faith looks like. If we would desire God more than the things of God, and if we would serve where God has sovereignly placed us, I think we would be blown away at how Melissa would be transformed. That this city, this county, this country, this world would never look the same. So church, let's build our lives on him. He is the firmest foundation we could ever ask for. Let's stand and let's sing about this firm foundation. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.